This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. And welcome back to White Ladies in Crisis. It's a podcast dedicated to women losing their marbles. We are talking about Hulu's Candy, Episode 2, Happy Wife, Happy Life. And uh, I would say that title is a misnomer, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am Joe Lipset, and I'm joined as always by Jen Adams. Hello. As well as Gina Radcliffe. Hiya. And, uh, oh boy, okay, episode two, we are getting to learn quite a bit more about Candy and Betty, and these are, I was joking, some sad ladies of the 80s. (laughs) Yes, they sure are. I feel like the happy wife, happy life is more like a warning than Mm. like a description, you know? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, the whole, the whole time I was watching this episode, I just, you know, you guys know that gif of J. Jonah Jameson, the cartoon, he's like just pounding on the desk. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, and I was like, get me volume, <laughs> because therapy, they both, they both yeah, they 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 need therapy, they need volume. They're just, mm. you know, obviously the idea is the you know, away is that their lives are a lot more alike than you realize, even though mm-hmm. they themselves are are very different in their personalities. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting the directions they take to try to resolve the tension and or like this feeling of unfulfillment, you know, Mm -hmm. which both involve boys or men, but just not, it's very different roads, you know, and I feel like Betty is really a lot more open and aware about how unhappy she is, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that it's the 80s. So even though uh, I didn't love Alan quite as much this episode, Mm -hmm. although... I would be interested to see if we ever get some insight into what he's thinking on all of this. But mm-hmm. uh, from the perspective of this particular episode, he's not the most supporting of husband. But it's interesting that Betty, yeah, does seem to be in touch with her feelings. But mm-hmm. when she tries to verbalize them, everyone treats her like she's a hysterical woman. Mm-hmm. Well, because her, her her tone, she's a little whiny and mm. and she you know kind of comes off as as what would sound like in 1980 to be demanding that you know okay. well, i need i need you to stay home and help me with the baby and and in a way that men at that time without necessarily being considered bad husbands would be like well, what do you want from me i'm you know you know i'm the one that pays all the bills now you want me to help with this too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, Betty would be perceived as being kind of an unreasonable, demanding wife. Even yeah. though, to our our, mo- our modern perspective, it seems perfectly re- reasonable for her to need some help around the <laughs> right. house. Right. Progress. Oh my gosh, progress. Totally. Yeah, although I think this episode is so interesting because it feels like the show is, like, actively resisting putting them in box of, like, poor downtrodden woman, mm. you know? Like, because I actually didn't really like Betty a lot in this episode, though I oh. completely sympathize with her. I know where she's coming from. I feel like the show is giving us things to make... Like, yes, it's okay to be frustrated that your husband is going out of town, but to call mm-hmm. your husband's boss twice, I feel mm. like is a little further than the norm, you know? That's an overstep. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I think, you know, it's this poor woman. And we've said this about Sheila on, on physical that, that, you know, if therapy was a thing that was, you know, taken seriously and not regarded as something you should be you know, ashamed to do, Betty mm-hmm. would probably be able to handle these things better. And, yeah. but, you know, you know, she's trying to get his attention. And I, I believe me, the idea of doing that is mortifying. But mm-hmm. I, I think that she, you know, perceived it as, you know, I, ca- I can't get his attention. Clearly his job is more important to him. Maybe if, you know, I spoke to his boss and made him understand the seriousness of the situation, it would mm-hmm. get through to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this whole episode feels like it's failed coping mechanisms, the TV show, right? <laughs> yes. yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like Betty has been unhappy or aware that she's unfulfilled for a lot longer than mm. than uh, Candy has. And I think that's maybe where that a little bit of unlikability comes in for me. Although, and I want to be clear, like, it's not that I don't like her. It's that I feel like she is coming across as harsher than... I feel like what we have seen warrants, but she's probably Hmm. been dealing with this for years. This feeling of being unfulfilled. She has no therapy. She has nowhere to go with it. And so she is starting to get resentful. She's starting to lash out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I also get the impression that, that none of this has turned out the way she thought it was going to be as far Mm -hmm. as being married, being, you know, she expected that she would be a natural mother because of course she'd be a natural mother. All women are natural mothers. And it turns out she's not a bad mother, but Mm -hmm. she's not a great mother either. She, she's, she's trying, but she, you know, she loses patience with the kids. You know, she's not a very well-regarded teacher because she's kind of perceived as a mean teacher who, who Mm -hmm. doesn't really have any kind of time for, you know, kids being kids. You know, I think she expected that her and Alan would be more of a partnership than they are. Uh, and, and again, you know, no one will look at Alan and say that's a bad husband. You know, they mm-hmm. would say right. they would say, you know, he's working very hard to put a roof over her head. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, it makes her feel guilty for resenting him for being away all the time. And, and I got to say, the most heartbreaking moment for me for Betty in this entire series is when she goes to church and she tries to talk to those women mm-hmm. and they are literally just looking at her like, who the fuck are you? And this is uh, like and then laughing church. at church. Yeah. This is mm-hmm. church that yep. these women are acting like this is the first day of high school and she's not yeah. cool enough to talk to them. Oh, it's yep. so clicky. Yeah. I can't imagine how heartbroken she must have been at that. When you get rejected by people at your church. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that scene felt so important for me in terms of her arc for this particular episode. Because I think you're right, Jen. She she does come off as... <sighs> she's alternatively both, like, too weak and too forceful at the same yes. time. Like, you can yes. tell she she's not good at exercising control and being strict. Like, the kids walk all over her. But then she bottles it up and then she just explodes on people and it comes off too strong, as we see Mm -hmm. with Davy, her adopted foster kid, where she just grabs him and threatens to hit him. And you're like, no, that's too much. Mm -hmm. And that would be really easy to just say, ooh, she, she is unlikable. She's overreacting, blah, blah, blah. But then we've got that scene at church and you're just thinking, if this is her day every day or like... She's trying to make these inroads with these women. She's thinking she's doing things that they're going to be able to relate to her with. 
and this is the response that she's getting like this is some mean girls level bullshit and Mm -hmm. that would be really hard to take yeah and it's like and it's like you know what's what's wrong with her these women are acting like Mm -hmm. this and and the, the idea that i get is because she's new in town and and mm. and so you know i guess they they need a little time to warm up to her or whatever and it's like no you're just like you know making fun of her to her face you're you're mm-hmm. you're you're being like condescending and sarcastic and it's like excuse you church ladies you know i mean right. that's not that's not very christian of you <laughs> yep, although I will say I have had experiences like this at church many oh, sure. times. Yeah. Oh, especially oh, I down don't in doubt the South. It. Yeah. I don't doubt it. But but I feel like yeah. you could just you could just see like like Betty's face just falling, like even here? You know, people don't uh-huh. want anything to do with me, really? Well then where else does she have too? You know, right. she doesn't have a job. She has and... no other hobbies and exactly. yeah, she gets fired. She's got her yeah. she's got her kids, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I will say, I don't know if what she did was a fireable offense, but I wouldn't think so. You can't punish an entire class for something. No. That like <laughs> no. You, you can't do that. <laughs> I get the impression she's probably she probably got some complaints before from parents. Yeah, yeah. it was infraction eighty five, right? Right. That didn't come out of the blue. Although yeah. I will say as a former teacher that is one of the most thankless jobs in the world oh you are constantly spending your day with people who don't listen to you who don't care about you so that is just like that's why i finally left because i just could not handle being interrupted all the time you know Mm. and so i think if she's if she's already feeling kind of invisible at home and not getting the support she's needing at home and then she goes and she's teaching middle school of all too which is like Kind of known Oof. as one of the, the the hardest to teach. Kids are extra shitty at that age. <laughs> they really are. And they're they, not know, cute, and they're yep. already getting lip. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I mean they're just figuring out who they are, but I mean they are really hard to work with. So all of this combined, she's just at the end of a rope, and I think she doesn't have any other outlet. So all she can do is just be angry, you know, mm-hmm. or try to bottle it up, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, that one line that she says to Alan after everything has gone tits up with Davy, and basically we know the writing's on the wall. Like, we're pretty sure Davy isn't around in the scenes that take place in the present when she's been murdered. So we're like, okay, mm-hmm. well, this kid's not sticking around. And she says, you know, I just can't have another person in this house who doesn't want to be here. Ooh. Like, mm-hmm. that That punched me in the face. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was a hard one. I thought it was interesting to watch her relate to the kids too. Like it's completely fine. I think for, for Davey to not want those invitations, like, Oh, sure. Like we can see on his face immediately that he Mm -hmm. doesn't like that. And I wonder if that was just some, like, I'm not getting more invitations. I've already got plenty to do, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to watch her daughter. And I can't remember what her daughter's name is, but she gets this, like, she's constantly trying to smooth things over, you know, Mm -hmm. and she's constantly trying to say, no, it's okay. Oh, we can do this. Or she's explaining to Davey why the dog can't eat that food. And that kind of smacked to me of not necessarily growing up in an abusive home, but just a home where you never know what your parent is going to do. You know, like, I think she's been seeing this repression and then explosion for a while. Yeah, I, I can't remember if it was this episode or the first episode where you hear the daughter talking to Candy's daughter mm. and she mm-hmm. says something that sounds like like all all my mom does is cry all the time. 
Oh. And that really, like, as somebody who has both dealt with depression and had parents that dealt with depression, like, I really felt for Betty. <laughs> I really, mm. I really do. She's not always a likable person, but... Yeah. You know, like I said, she's very whiny. She's very clingy with Alan. And you can see, like, the look at, you know, Alan's face is, please, God, get me out of here, please. And I just, like... Right. I need this volleyball game like no one's business. Right. But you can also also tell that it kills him to think that. That he he feels very badly about wanting to be away from her. But, Mm. um, but, you know, I, I see that from both perspectives. And, you know, I, I'm glad that the show has a temerity to show a depressed person as these people are difficult to deal with. And, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, we are, you know, it's not just laying in bed and crying all the time. It's mood swings. It's just like mm-hmm. just snapping and yelling at the people who care at you most. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad that they are not going out of their way to make... Betty seemed like just like, you know, a helpless victim that she's a, a, you know, a person with some dimension and, you know, and flaws. Not to say to suggest that she deserved what happens to her, because obviously she doesn't. But but that, you know, she's not just like this like victim archetype who does who doesn't really add anything to the the show except to, you know, stand around and wait to be killed. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, or like be as perfect as possible to make it as hard when you kill. Right, you know. Yeah, because yeah, I will confess that's one of the things, Jen. Last week you were mentioning some of the things that drove you a little bit away from true crime. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find frustrating is when the murder victims are presented as, oh, they were perfect, they were mm-hmm. gorgeous, they all had blonde hair, they came from good families, they didn't deserve what happened to them, and you're just like there's a moral judgment being passed like if yeah. you're a shitty person it doesn't mean that you deserve to be murdered either totally. right exactly nobody deserves that yeah <laughs> yeah and, and no one lives up to those impossible standards like a lot of the time i think we we reevaluate who people are after they are gone to say like oh they had a lot of good characteristics like you know mm-hmm. you'd probably say betty was a, a mother of two and she was um, a happily married woman and she went to church every sunday like you would paint it in a positive light but the reality is it's like i i don't know if this is an accurate portrayal but what i'm seeing on the show the betty that i'm seeing from these two episodes is a flawed real human being Yes, yes, and I appreciate that. I do know that her family apparently did did not like her portrayal here, but okay. at the at the same time, I am inclined to believe that th- it's pretty accurate. I mean, you know, no, nobody wants to say about their their poor dead child while well, she was, re- you know, she was unhappy in life and then she was mm-hmm. murdered. You know, I mean, right? Um, yeah. And I think that they might have been a little bit afraid that that people would come away from the the, the movie thinking that she deserved it. I'm like, what kind of monsters gonna think she deserved to be <laughs> right. to be you know chopped to pieces with an axe because she's a little you know a little sad and clean with her husband? You know, I mean, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, when you're portraying a real person, kind of like what we talked about last time, like I don't know what portrayal would make a grieving family happy that mm-hmm. is real, you know? Right. Which is why I know I've, I do listen to true crime podcasts that happened like a hundred years ago or something right. like that, you know, because the living family members aren't around anymore. Mm. Yeah. This is, 
this is a tricky thing, right? I mean, mm. at the end of the day, we are watching a television show that was made for entertainment purposes. You know, every episode begins yeah. with the acknowledgement that these are based on true events. And at the end of every episode, we get a like, any sort of facsimile, real or intended, is like, not our fault kind of deal. And you're just like, okay, so it's true, but not so true that you can't get away with saying, oh, this is a fictionalized account of how these things go. Because that's what true crime is, right? Like, we don't really know what the specifics are that happen. And they're trying to make this entertaining enough to merit a five-night miniseries. So... One of the things that I was really interested in is how this episode, again, is playing with time a little bit, but it didn't do the thing I thought it was going to do, which would be like, here's how the two women became friends. Like, yeah, Betty and Candy barely have an interaction. It's that church scene, and that's it. So mm-hmm. I still have no idea how we get to, oh, our kids are staying overnight at the other person's. I'm going to pick up the bathing suit. Like, we've got a long right. way to go. Yeah, and I do think, like, I am really enjoying what I see the value in this story as because it is for entertainment, but I think a lot of true crime is only for entertainment. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see this one, like, really trying to tell a story about what it was like to be a wife in 1980 and to have varying levels of support. But even if you have the most supportive husband in the world, sometimes that's not enough too. So I like, I'm not, I'm not bugged by this true crime retelling because I feel like they are one honoring the victims. And two, I feel like they have a purpose in telling the story Hmm. other than just exploiting. Like there's a book called, um, I'm going to forget who it, who it was, but it was a guy who writes true crime. And he said, every true crime story has a hero and the other characters who who they kill. So just (sighs) implying that the hero of all true crime is the killer, you know? And I feel like that is what bugs me about a lot of true crime. But I think I'm seeing more of a trend recently of really actively pushing against that and i think this show is mm-hmm. doing that yeah i i it's like i said before they they are you know taking the time to to make to make betty a person too and yeah. which, you know which ultimately makes when she gets killed a a, a more sobering sorrowful event because yeah. mm-hmm. you may not necessarily like her very much but but you you feel like you've gotten to know her a little bit and you certainly know people like her or you know you yeah. may see more of yourself in her than you care to see and and mm-hmm. you know whereas you know yeah you're absolutely right that a lot of true crime you know very much focuses on on the killer because Just the killer yeah right because that's the part that you know allegedly people find you know more find interesting i'm like not necessarily mm-hmm. you know yeah. t- right you know, tell me how these you know particularly in in cases like this where they know each other right it's like okay tell me you know about the paths that you know with how they eventually cross paths with each other you know mm-hmm. I, I don't want to you know spend you know 100 pages learning you know, you know, everything about the killer from you know birth up until the day the crime happened and then you know two pages about the victim you know make them both right. re- real dimensional people to me so the the right. the you know when they do finally come together and this terrible things happens it has much more of an impact yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting. If I didn't know who the victim was and I hadn't seen anything post Betty dying, I could look at this and believe that Betty actually killed Candy too. 
like mm-hmm. this dynamic right could now. I could, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, aside from what we've seen that's after. And I think that's total. I think that's totally intentional. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, so I, I, I don't, I don't know how many people were really familiar with this case because it was, it was a, you know, a single murder. It was 40 years ago. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, how many people went into this cold and, 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 you know, did not know which one of these women, you know, I mean, obviously it gives it away in the first episode, but, but yeah. how many people knew how this was going to turn out? Right. And it's also a crime that tells us things we don't want to know about the way we've structured society. And those are lots of times the ones we tend to not want to deal with, you know? So with all of that said, and not to do the very thing that we just said we don't like (laughs) to see in true crime, but shall we talk about the other side of the story and what we learn about Candy in episode two? Yes. I really liked Candy in this episode. I liked her a lot more in this episode than the other one. Candy is very thirsty. (laughs) Thirsty (laughs) Maybe that's why I (laughs) I felt a connection. Although I want to be clear, I am not wearing my tank tops and trolling for uh, affairs at the local volleyball court. <laughs> Maybe my favorite scene is when she is oh checking out those dudes and we are getting slow-mo, like, short, short arms rippling on Sweaty the volleyball muscles. court. Oh, it is good yeah. times. This is when we are funny. we are introduced to uh, Dr. Chilton himself, Raul Esparza, has popped uh-huh. up in this show. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, for whatever reason, uh, even though, again, like I pointed out in the last episode, these people are barely 30 years old. Uh, Pat, her husband, does not seem to have any interest in having sex with her anymore, which I, I mm-hmm. do not get. He, he wants to watch the Rockford Files. He doesn't want any, <laughs> He doesn't want anything to do with his very attractive wife. Uh-huh. I was going to say, we see, I mean, this is Jessica Biel and less candy, I think, but like watching her play volleyball, the muscle definition on Jessica Biel's arms, I was like, her arms are better and bigger than mine. Like, mm-hmm. I'm jealous oh, of the muscle definition she has. Uh-huh. I mean, she's, she's still got it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, she is one of the most attractive humans on the planet. Oh, uh, undoubtedly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, okay, I'm curious, what did you two think of her relationship with her sort of disgraced pastor? I mean, I love the fact that Betty is apparently, well, subject of mockery. Let's not even bother to talk to her. But then we mm. also are not afraid to gossip about the fact that the pastor is getting a divorce. And ooh, she's brought her new squeeze to the volleyball court. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things I think that made me like Candy, because I could see a stereotypical version of Candy leading all of that gossip and being Mm -hmm. like, oh, we can't, we're not talking to you again. You're not Christian. You're not a good person. And I really, it made me like her a lot more to see her continue to really embrace this person and want to know about her in the moment she was like how long does she have to wait to be happy i think that's when she really won me over you know Mm -hmm. it's like it's okay it's like she is a person too you know yeah i mean i think for me the other like i mentioned that the church scene is really important with betty and candy and the other women but i do think that volleyball scene is really telling because jessica veal is playing Oh, like the the range of emotions on her face as she watches Pastor Jackie show up with this new guy and mm-hmm. she's judging her like, what is she doing bringing this guy and like watching them with their PDAs on the court and how ostentatious it is. But you can tell it's also her being like, God, 
I would love to be having some of that physical contact right now. Like she's jealous and judgy at the same time. And mm-hmm. it's wordless. It's all just playing on the way Jessica Biel's looking at another character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, not only does she you know, sex starved, I think she just also mm-hmm. would like the, the, the excitement of the new and sure. you know we're, we're all we're all in long term relationships. That that that's that's an, it's an enticing prospect. Mm-hmm. You know to think about you know what would it be like to have that puppy love feeling again? And then you're like, yeah, right. that probably would be terrible. <laughs> right? <laughs> It'd probably blow up in my face. But yeah. you're, but, but you're kind of like that the 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 kombucha meme. You're like mm, maybe mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it, you know, it, it she's she's so young. I, it's, it, I, I can't emphasize that these characters are barely thirty, and mm-hmm. and they're just stuck already in the lives that they have been consecrated to and they're they're you know they probably haven't even been married a decade to their husbands and right. and they're just they're they're just they're miserable and they're stuck and they're lonely i mean yeah. you know to, to put it bluntly i mean at least alan and betty are still fucking you know right. I mean, you know they did have to have a new baby i mean i don't know how much betty particularly enjoys it but but yeah you know, at, at least they are having, you know, the intimacy that, that Candy and Pat are apparently lacking. And, mm. you know, but, you know, this is this is the rest of their lives that they're looking at here. Yep. The Rockford Files and nothing else. Yep. And that's what that, that limitation, you know? Yeah. And running around to, you know, Target and, you know, getting a Father's Day card. You know? Right. Which <laughs> I meant to say this in the last episode, but the saddest Target I think I've ever seen. <laughs> like that store did not look fun at all. It looked very <laughs> Probably just because of the 80s. But yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's almost like they are both having this midlife crisis right you know of like yeah. what what else is there i'm going to be stuck in this position of making making his favorite dinner so that i can get what i want or like mm. just like masturbating in the bathtub but not getting to finish because i'm interrupted <laughs> by five different things <laughs> you know <laughs> oh the the quintessential mom experience right i oh, can't yeah. even be intimate with my fucking self <laughs> uh-huh. it reminds me of that um that snl sketch with when 50 shades of gray came out and like the moms would like sneak into the bathroom and read it and then just scream at their kids <laughs> i was just thinking about that like like her and the mom from the babadook oh <laughs> yep i mean there's a lot of similarity there i feel like i don't know if Candy had not gotten this example of an affair. Mm-hmm. I wonder how long it would take her to get to where Betty is, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, they're on a similar trajectory. It's just that Candy, by all appearances, seems to be holding things together. But I mean, as we talked about last week in the first episode, she also just packs her days so full mm-hmm. of everything. It's almost like, well, if I'm busy, I can't feel anything. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that's like at all. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh-huh. And 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 Betty just you know number one because she has uh, a, a newborn at this point, she really can't do all that much. Yeah. But you know, she also doesn't really seem to have the energy or the interest really in in trying to and again because because she's depressed you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i yeah. mean uh-huh. you know and and they just didn't you know they did know that word but they didn't know how to apply it to you know you know a housewife who you know well, well you have everything you, you have everything you need what's the problem 
Mm. Right. If that doesn't work, go to church. Right. Your husband's a good provider. You have healthy kids. You have a nice house. What are you complaining about? And, and right. you know, like I said, she, she can't keep her days full because she doesn't have the energy or the motivation because she's depressed. Yeah. Well, then who's she going to plan stuff with, too, you know? If she doesn't have any friends. Yeah. yeah. See, even to flip it around, Jen, you said, like, how long would it have taken Candy to turn into Betty if she didn't have the affair? But flip side is, like, how might Betty have fared if she had been able to join the volleyball nights or a mm, book club mm-hmm. or something else where it would have given her something to do for herself? Like, if anybody had reached out to her, if anybody right. had reached out to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other moment that really hit me was when she was talking about going to all the baby showers and doing mm. giving everybody support and then feeling like she never gets it back. You right. know? And I mean, I can understand if you don't know her very well, she seems like she is pushing you away, which is what we've already talked about. But that moment just really hit me because, you know, when you feel like you're constantly giving, 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 giving and nothing, getting nothing back in return, it just wears you down. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy the moment in the church when the that little I don't know who that guy was or why he was talking about the pastor, but when like the news that she was getting divorced broke and then it like panned through all of the women in the church mm-hmm. and I was like I was imagining them thinking, Wait, could I get divorced? Is this something that's <laughs> that's possible? Wow. This was such a funny scene. <laughs> like Wait, oh? we can do that? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, the answer is no, because by the end of this episode, Jackie the pastor is out of town. And I don't think that's entirely because, like, there's no reason why she couldn't continue in her job. Everything to me was like, oh, she's not welcome in this community anymore because she's getting a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking ahead because Jen, you mentioned Don, and of course, Gina, you you brought up, he's played by the wonderful Raul Esparza. And I'll confess, he is the new perplexing character in the show, because last week I wanted to know about the new pastor. He has obviously not been hired in the second episode because we're in the past. But I'm like, wait, so who is Don? Like, mm-hmm. he's on the volleyball court, and Candy is checking him out, but... What is his relationship to all of this? So, like, in episode three, I would like to learn more about Dawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you, but I'm not going to. No! <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is the problem with doing a show where one of us has already seen future episodes. It's like, well... <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm interested. <laughs> I didn't like him very much. I was like, what are you doing up there? But I will say that whole scene gave me so many church flashbacks to my childhood that I feel like I was melting as that happened. So that might be why I was not able to really focus on him. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, he looks like my uncle. Oh, that sanctuary, <laughs> like that sanctuary legit looks exactly like the one that I grew up in and got baptized in. The choir sounded just like the conductor even directed exactly like my old choir conductor used to direct. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> like I started just kind of dying inside. Hmm. But yeah. And so maybe I projected a little bit of guys like Dawn that I know from um, my life that right. I don't go to anymore. Hmm. But yeah, I would be interested to see like what is his authority in this situation? You know, like why is he the one? I, I imagine he's like a deacon in the church or something, but 
Yeah, I, I just I just assume, and 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 I'm guessing this without giving anything away. I'm not entirely sure what his role in the church is, but I assume he's just someone you know, like on the church council. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. council of elders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess the other big thing is that we do get a brief, very brief flash forward to what we had Mm. not seen before, which was Candy on the Stand. Mm -hmm. So what did we think of this little tease? Candy on the standy. (laughs) (laughs) You're fine. Get out of here. Right. Well, it was interesting what they, like the line that they pulled and when they put it there, because she says, and then I picked up the ax and it was very like, is the metaphorical acts her actual action to start an affair? Mm-hmm. You know, like that is getting into that car and just saying, I would like to have an affair with you, which by the way, it made me love her even more too, just how <laughs> direct and polite she was. But like that is the acts that she is taking to her own life, you know? Well, it's two big declarative statements right to end this episode Mm -hmm. on it's like it's in a way candy controlling her own agency like we we saw betty try to do it when she said you know i don't want to be with somebody who doesn't want to be here Mm -hmm. but she says that to somebody who's not really listening to her whereas with candy when she speaks people listen and mm-hmm. here it's like, I would like to have an affair. And also I picked up an axe. But yeah, like, yeah. I mean, the the linkages between the scene where she initiates the affair with Alan and then that flash forward tease on the stand, the proximity is such that you're just like, yep, okay. So she's, she's taking an axe to her own life. You're absolutely right. Which is interesting because... Like, I think when I, I knew that they were going to have an affair because I think some of kind of subliminal previews I'd seen or something. Mm -hmm. And I just assumed that by playing volleyball together or by being in the choir together, they would just develop this uncontrollable attraction and they would just fall into this affair, you know? But I think what we (laughs) learn is that like, she doesn't really care that much about him. He just happens to be available or he happens to be right there. And she wants, like, she decides she wants to have an affair before she decides who she wants to have an affair with which i thought was really interesting so it really is just about sabotaging her life which is something i think we see sheila do you know Mm -hmm. i read a couple of reviews just to see if there was like anything significant that i was kind of missing and Mm -hmm. one person noted that she's basically trading in an identical version of her husband for somebody (laughs) shiny and new but like they're both almost the exact same height they look very similar like alan Mm -hmm. is slightly lighter haired and he has glasses but that's a mustache Uh, that's the i i when i did my review i said they could they could be brothers except for that alan has a shitty mustache exactly Mm. yeah and it's perplexing like but you're right it's not about this man it's not like she has an innate you know unquenchable desire for him she's just like you know what? I got it in my head that I would like to have an affair. And then I yeah. just scouted for who I thought I could do it with. And it happened to be Alan. Yeah. And I'm horny and no one will have sex with me. Even mm-hmm. the person that for married some me. Re- and- for some reason. I, <laughs> I know. Things ju- the real Jessica Bill would never say. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. Too funny. Okay. So we want to know more about Dawn, and then what else, Jen? Anything else that you think is going to happen in the next episode? I don't know. I'm just really kind of enjoying watching this unfold, you know? My prediction is that this is going to be the episode where they become friends. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, I said that I would have thought that would be this episode. But I did notice in the circle of mean girls at church, like Candy was the first one to like extend some kind of kind branch, you know. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if she is going to kind of take pity on Betty and befriend her a little bit. Yeah, that'll be interesting if she's also bedding down with her husband at the same uh, yeah. time. And we're assuming that that is happening chronologically. Like, she's not friends with Betty at this point, mm. I'm assuming. Yeah. So I, so I did want to mention, too, like, I am really enjoying the way they're framing the time, too. Like, all based on the crime and when she died, you know? I feel like it's a really interesting way of centering the victim in this act, you know, like two years before she died or the day before she died, rather mm-hmm. than like 1980, September 30th, something like right. that. You know, I think that's an interesting little choice that I like. Well, I think it goes back to what you and Gina were saying earlier, where the priority focus really is on the victim as much as it is on the killer, right? Like mm-hmm. at all times, we are focusing our attention on Betty because we know that she is the victim and the Mm -hmm. show is structured around her. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we will find out what happens when we hit the midway point next week with episode three. But until then, Gina, if people want to talk about what happens in the future (laughs) episodes, how'd they get a hold of you? Uh, I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast in which we talk about horror movies according to the characters. I also write about movies and television at thespool.net, where if you uh, you look back to May or so, you can find my review of Candy overall. Mm. It was a positive one, so. <laughs> and I am also on Twitter under Gina Does Things. Nice. And Jen. Uh, you can find me at Jen Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram. You can also come find me co-hosting the Losers Club podcast, which is... All about Stephen King, who apparently testified today that he is a freelance author. <laughs> I love it. Love it. <laughs> oh, Stephen King, I love you. Um, and also the Psychoanalysis podcast about mental health and horror. Nice. Okay. And if you want to connect with me, I can be reached at B Stool My Remote, and that's the letter B. And of course, a new episode of Horror Queers drops every Wednesday. Thanks, as always, to the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network for hosting the show. We will be back with more candy next week, but uh, until then, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I would like to have a pod fair with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was the stupidest thing I think I've ever said. <laughs> Which makes it perfect. <laughs> Squad.